morning, church. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. That's Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Merlon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi 
when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. morning. I hope you are having a good morning this morning. Uh, I am very excited because I get to bring to you the book of Ruth, uh, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I do hope that after going through it this morning, it'll encourage you to go home and read it. Uh, So I know many people over the Christmas season pick a, a novel or a book that they read. Can I encourage you to maybe put that novel aside for a bit and read Ruth? Because Ruth actually reads a lot like a novel. Uh, It's a beautiful story. It has romance. Uh, Well, the the jury's still out on the romance, but there's a good love story. It goes from uh, a tragedy to triumph. It's a a rags-to-riches story. really is beautiful, and I'm very excited to bring chapter one to you. But before I do that, I need to say to you that um, Martin Morrison was supposed to be preaching this morning. Um, but unfortunately, he is one of the many who has uh, contracted COVID, uh, and he's doing very well. He has minor symptoms, um, but nonetheless, we can still pray for him, and we can pray for his family, and, uh, and I think let's continue to keep praying for our country. Um, this virus has done some many hectic things, and we all know, we all know that, so let's continue to pray for them. So uh, fortunately or unfortunately, you have me preaching this morning. Uh, so I, I know I'm not that much to look at. I don't have the body of Martin Morrison. I'm sorry about that. If you, if you didn't catch that joke, it is an in-house joke, so just ask someone next to you to explain it. Uh, but I know that the Holy Spirit can still use me, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit works in me and in you uh, so that we may together grow in what Ruth chapter 1 is going to say to us. So let me pray. Father, uh, I do bring our country before you, and I bring the Morrison family. Uh, Father, you know that COVID has done uh, some horrific things to many uh, within our country and the world. Uh, And so I pray, I ask for you to act. Uh, I pray that you will bring people to yourself. Uh, And Lord, if it is your will, I pray that you bring an end to this virus. Um, Father, I I also want to pray for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be working within me as I bring your word. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be working in everybody else so that they may not only hear it, but it may change their hearts, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So as I said earlier, we're in Ruth chapter 1, and the reason we're here uh, is because I know that for many people, and, and many people in our church as well, that Christmas isn't, it isn't quite joy to the world. See, for most of us it is, and we love Christmas because it's a time of family, and it's a time of getting together, it's a time of gift giving, 
But for many people within our church, it's a remembrance of the fact that they've lost someone that they love. Now, if, if you're one of those people and you've struggled with loss, you know that already the year is hard. But what happens at Christmas is, is Christmas, out of all the other holidays that we get throughout the year, is it's, it's focused on family. But also what happens at Christmas is life slows down. And so all the things that you normally have in the year that can distract you are no longer there. And so you come into Christmas feeling the weight of the loss of the person that you've loved. Uh, and the reason I thought of preaching on this passage specifically is it, it, it tells the story of, of someone, of a woman, who has suffered severe loss in her life. And so if you are one of those people here today and you've suffered with severe loss this year, and not just this year, in other years as well, and you are being reminded of it at this Christmas, I, I, I hope that this story does two things for you. I hope you, you see in it someone who, who gets it, someone who can identify you, with you in your struggle. But I also hope that you will see something that she didn't in the story. And that when you see that thing that she didn't, and, and I'm going to bring it out from the passage, I hope that it brings you at least some bit of comfort and hope. Now, you may not have lost someone this, this year or, or in the past few years, but you may still be bringing some form of other baggage with you into Christmas through some other things that you've suffered. And I'm pretty sure that this passage will also have something to say to you. So let's dive into Ruth chapter 1. And it would be really a helpful thing if you can keep Ruth chapter 1 in front of you. Otherwise, this is going to be a very boring sermon. <laughs> you need to have the text in front of you. So it says this. It says, In the days where the judges ruled, there was a famine uh, in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were, were Mahalan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, believe it or not, this short little bit of text gives you a great picture into the life that Naomi had before she suffered her severe tragedy. In verse 1, it tells us that the story took place during the time of the judges when there was a famine in the land. Now, to know what life was like during the time of the judges, a helpful verse to look at is Judges chapter 21, verse 25, which says, In those days, there was no king, and every person did what was right in their own eyes. Now, just for a moment, let that sink in. Imagine what a society would be like where there's no king and every person does what is right in their own eyes. Uh, Royden Frost once said in a sermon, he said, uh, if you think a, a country with a corrupt government is bad, try live in a country where there is no government. I mean, it's chaos. It's almost like one of those western films where you know those western movies where it's the wild wild west and uh, just by looking at someone badly in a in a bar they take you outside and you have a showdown and someone dies 
I mean, we watch those movies and they, they're always awesome in our eyes, but imagine living in that. It's actually chaos. So the society back then uh, was a society with no law, so crime, sexual promiscuity, corruption, murder, etc. All of that is rampant. Now, in South Africa, I don't think we're anywhere near that, but we kind of know a little bit of what it feels like to, to, to take out our phones, to read the news, and to see that crime, murder, sexual promiscuity, and all of that is rampant. And we also know what it's like when you read the news to then get a message to say that there's food shedding. That was a joke, okay, sorry, that didn't land. I'll try better next time. So we kind of know a little bit about the situation that Naomi is in, at least to a degree. But be that as it may, even though she's living in a very chaotic, scary time, the text still gives us a bit of evidence to show that life for her is actually good. And there's two pieces of evidence. The first is uh, in verse 1, which says that they stay there for a short time. So they use the word sojourning, which means to stay there for a short time. But eventually that changes, and if you look in verse 2, they seem to lay down roots, which means that they must have felt that this was a good place for them to be living. But there's other pieces of evidence in the text as well, and that evidence comes in the meaning of their names. Now, if you read the Old Testament and you're wanting to understand a passage, one of the helpful tools that I can give you is look at the names of the characters, because often the names of the characters tell you a little bit about the situation that the people are in. Elimelech, which is Naomi's husband, means God is king. And Naomi means sweet or pleasant. So the situation is that everything is going well. Life is sweet. God is king. So even though they live in a world of chaos, life is actually going pretty well. Until verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. Now, as the reader, you, you kind of hope that that's the end of the tragedy because that is a very hectic thing to go through, to lose your husband. But unfortunately, this is just the beginning. In verse 4, you'll see it seems to pick up a bit, but then it spirals out of control. Verse 4, it then says, These her two sons took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah, and I, I always think Oprah when I read that. I've got to try hard to see Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And so, yeah, everything seems to be picking up. It seems like they've been able to somewhat move on from their loss. The two boys have found women to marry. So life is looking a little bit better again. Carry on reading. They lived there about 10 years and both Mahalan and Kilian died, so that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. Now that's tragic. The, this is the kind of tragedy that you hope never happens to anybody. Naomi lost her whole family 
her husband and her two sons. I mean, just imagine now, imagine you go home, you're going to have your nice Sunday lunch, and then you get a call, and someone, one of your closest friends is saying to you, I've lost everybody. It's a tragedy, and sadly, it's a tragedy that there are people in this church who have experienced it. And there might even be people online who've experienced this. But unfortunately, it still gets worse for Naomi. Because not only does she lose her family, but she loses everything else as well. You see, society back then was a male-dominated society. So if you were married back then, well, men owned the property and all the possessions in it. So if your husband died, you lost everything. You'd have to organize a relative of your husband to marry you just so that you could keep the house and all the material possessions. So not only has Naomi lost her whole family, but she's on the brink of poverty. And that's something else back then was that when you were a woman back then and you, you married into a new family, you committed yourself to that family. And what would happen is you would marry into a family where there would be multiple generations, there would be grannies and grandpas, your husband would have his brothers and their families, and they'd all be together under one roof. And, and this family became to you a massive support structure. So cultural was perhaps a little bit more similar to perhaps what many black and colored and Indian cultures are like now in South Africa, where family is a very big support structure. If you have financial issues, you lean on your family. If you have health issues, you lean on your family. Emotional concerns, your family. All of that, your, your biggest support in your life is your family. And so for Naomi, this has been removed as well. So your support is gone, you're on the brink of poverty, you've lost your whole family. I think you will agree that it's pretty safe to say that she's probably hit rock bottom. And in fact, she kind of says this in verse 20. Look at what, how she describes the situation. She, Naomi, said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. I think many of us can identify with Naomi here. We all know what it's like to be in a situation when your suffering is so bad that here's how you feel you feel empty, bitter. And later on, we're going to talk about that feeling that she has where she feels God has brought this all upon her. Death of a loved one may, may not be the only thing that causes this. You could suffer in other ways. 
and you could get to the same place, feeling like you are the shell of the person that you once were. And if you're not going through this now, you might see it in a friend. They're not the same person they were a few weeks back. They've been emptied of something. Like Naomi, they were once sweet, but now they've become bitter. In other words, they were once in a good place, but now they are living in darkness. They don't laugh as much anymore, or talk as much anymore, or something is just different. They're no longer the bright person that they once were, and the reason is it's because of their situation. It's been so tough that they can't bear to stand under the weight of it, and the weight is so heavy that it crushes them, and when it crushes them, it crushes their spirit as well. And this leaves them in a place where they are, as Naomi says, empty. Nothing left to give. You might be like this today. It's Christmas. But you're entering Christmas empty. Bitter. Well, let's carry on the rest of the story to see if, there's a, if there is some hope. So verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that's Naomi, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So Naomi hears that the Lord has come to his people. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things about this verse is that uh, she uses the word Yahweh for the name of the Lord. Now, there are different names that uh, is used for God in the Old Testament, but this specific name, Yahweh, uh, has a really rich meaning. And uh, I'm not going to go through it now. If you go onto our website, you can find Royden did an amazing sermon on uh, Exodus chapter 3, where he really went through what the name Yahweh means. Uh, but one of the, the uh, meanings of Yahweh is all-powerful God, and I think it's the correct interpretation for it here in the text, because what Naomi sees is she hears that, that Yahweh has visited his people, which means the all-powerful God is now there. Perhaps there is hope back in Moab, back in, in, in Judah. So she decides to pick up and go to the place where the all-powerful God is. Maybe her life can get sorted out. So let's keep reading from verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, from here, from verse 9, I want you to do some maths in your head. I know it's Christmas and most of our brains are switching off, but you can. I want you to count how many times you hear the word husband or read the word husband. So, verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people but Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. 
Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore remain, would you therefore remain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So what happens here is Naomi and her daughters-in-law get up and they head back to Judah. And as they're walking, Naomi suddenly realizes that it would be best for the two younger women to head back. So out of kindness, she says, listen, Orpah and Ruth, head back to Moab. Now, why is this kind? Well, if you look at the text, you really see Naomi's heart. She wants these women to have a life of, as verse 9 says, rest. And she believes that rest comes from having a husband. The word that you read there, if you got your maths right, it's repeated four times. And that's quite a lot for a passage that's as short as this. So clearly, having a husband is important to Naomi. And she's worried that these women will not find husbands in Judah. And there's various reasons for this. For example, Ruth and Orpah are Moabites, uh, and, and there's, if, you, if, you read, if you know your history, you know that the Jewish people and the Moabites were often at war with one another, so, so that meant that there was a lot of dislike amidst each other, so if you were a Moabite woman and you entered a Jewish, uh, a Jewish country, you, you would find that many of the men would not be favorable to you. But another reason is, back then, if you married a Jewish man, and you were a woman, and you didn't have a child, if your husband passed away, a custom back then was that you would marry one of his relatives so that you could keep his name going. And so if you were another Jewish man, and you saw a woman who was a widow who didn't have children, out of respect for that family you wouldn't marry that woman. You would rather encourage them to perhaps marry one of her previous husband's relatives. So basically, it was out of bounds uh, for Jewish men to marry uh, Orpah and Ruth. So Naomi gives some good advice, right? She says, rather go back to Moab. Life will be better for you there. And you and I would probably give similar advice, especially knowing how male-dominated the society is. Ruth Ruth and Orpah need a husband for security, rest, and the chance at a somewhat decent life. But here's the problem with the advice. Naomi's answer to a successful life is a man. The anchor or the pillar is, To a decent life, a good life, is to have a good man. In other words, if Naomi was giving a lecture on how to build a good life, and perhaps she used an illustration of a house, she would say the foundation of the house would be the man, the good man. Now we understand what makes, now I hope, I hope when you understand this, that you begin to see something more about Naomi's suffering. This helps us understand that she hasn't just lost someone she loves. She's lost her pillar of strength. She's lost her foundation of her life. It's been ripped 
from underneath her. Her suffering has been made all the more worse because she placed her husband probably in a place that he should never have been, the foundation of her life. Friends, let me tell you, only God should be the foundation of your life. But you and I, what we do is we put all kinds of things as the foundation of our lives. We put money there. We put a good career there. We tell ourselves that the key to a good life is marry the right person or have the right job. And when we do, then we say to ourselves, okay, now I've got a good foundation. I can build the rest of my life. It's something we say to children, don't we? When children are very early on in school, we tell them you've got to work hard. You've got to have the right academics, all good things. We tell them if you work hard, you're getting good, good, good university, which gets you a good job. All good things. Those are all good things. But what we do is we make those the foundation of our lives. And, and we say if we tick off all those boxes, we've built the right foundation, that means our house is going to be strong. The problem is that all those things are fickle. People die Money is never constant. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. Careers end. Life happens. That's why we have that phrase. Life happens. And you lose that foundation. And what is the result? You are left feeling empty, bitter, angry at God. Friends, there's only one thing in life which is not fickle like that, that can be your foundation, and that is God. He never changes. He is always constant. And there are a lot of people who are probably here today. There are people online who are joining us. And the reason why you're entering a blue, blue Christmas is because your foundation has been ripped underneath you. It may be the career that you had. You've now lost. It may be something else. Can I encourage you to put the Lord there instead? And if you have had a human being that was the foundation of your life and you've lost that person, please hear this in love. There is hope for healing. And it starts with coming to Jesus and letting him be your foundation. When you do that, you'll find you will still love that person and you will still treasure that person, but you'll have them in the right place in your life. And the constant, never-changing, firm God will be under your feet. When you do this, it may just help you pick yourself up and move on. So let's carry on from verse 14. So just to recap where we are, Naomi's life has fallen in front of her. She's lost her whole family. She's lost her supports in that family. She's lost her husband, which is the biggest support structure. She's lost her finance, everything. She's hit rock bottom. And now we come to this rather strange section where Ruth speaks, and I'm going to read it out. It says, verse 14, Then they... Uh, which is her daughters-in-law, lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, 
And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What an incredible passage, hey? I mean, imagine, imagine if someone said this to you. Imagine if someone was so other person centered that they said these words to you, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And then imagine if the same person not only said this to you, but committed an oath to you saying, if I don't love you like this, then may the Lord deal with me if, as verse 17 says, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, I'm sure you've heard these words before. It's a very popular passage at a, at a wedding. There's a kind of summary in the film Titanic where Jack says, you jump, I jump. And let me tell you, if you were in the cinema back then, Every woman was crying when he said that, and every man was crying on the inside. I'll give you the credit, gentlemen, because I know how much man, manliness means. But why were we all crying? Because we know that this is love. See, love is not those cheap words that are said when hormones are going all over the place. No, this is love. Because here's what you see in Ruth. A total commitment to someone else. Ruth gives herself fully to Naomi. Where you go, I will go. That's where you'll find me. Where you lodge, that's where I will be. And where you die, that's where I'll die. And should the Lord do so more to me, do so to me and more of anything, but death parts me from you. I, I, I just wish the world would love like this. But sadly, it's not the case, is it? I know of too many people, lots of people will say this. They will say, I'll take a bullet for my spouse. But often when people say that, I like to ask them, I'm like, I know. I'd like to say this to them. I know. I know you'll die for them, but will you die for them? What do I mean by that? I'm not making a mistake. In other words, I know that you will give your life for somebody, but will you give your hopes and your dreams? Will you give up your aspirations? In other words, will you give up all the things that make up your life for that other person? A sad story that I heard a few uh, months back is a friend of ours uh, who's living in Australia, she, she and her husband uh, had a bit of a struggle and it eventually caused him to leave. And when they told us the story, it, it kind of got me a little bit frustrated. You see, what happened was uh, they'd got married and she always wanted to have kids and he didn't. And eventually, after a couple of discussions, he, he came around and, and agreed to have one child. And then when that child came, he realized 
what life was like with that child. And it caused him to leave. What had happened was his freedom had been taken away. His rest, which was so dear to him, was removed because he was up half the night. He could no longer do some of the things that he loved. And he loved going drinking with his mates on the weekends. But he couldn't do that anymore because he had to be sober at night for the kids when they woke up. His Saturday morning golf was often postponed because his wife was struggling and she needed him to be home. He felt trapped. He felt he was no longer himself. And so he left his wife and his kid for freedom and identity. He was losing himself. And so he decided it would be best to leave. Now, if you, if you, you ask many people in our culture, many people would probably be on his side. Because freedom and identity are very important in our culture. And if you're going to lose either one of those, then you need to run for the hills. You deserve your happiness. And your happiness is wrapped up in your identity and your freedom. But the reason the story upset me is because although he's happy, he's left a mother to raise a kid by herself. And a kid who grows up without a dad. And this story is all too common. People leaving their spouses for their own hopes and dreams and their own identities. But what if, what if we changed that? What if this guy decided to be like Ruth and actually said, and actually, actually committed to his marriage vows, if you think about it? What if he really committed to only death being what parts us? What if he said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. In other words, he puts his own life aside and sacrifices it for the sake of the other person. Just imagine how amazing our world would be. You jump, I jump. So now we're in the final part of the story. And it's the most important part, but we won't be too long. Naomi finally enters the town, and when the woman of the town greets her, as we saw earlier, she says, uh, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Now, when you get to this part of the story, you totally get Naomi's words where she blames God for her struggles. You know, we've got to the point in the story where we realized just how broken her life has become. And so we kind of sympathize with her when, when she says, The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And in verse 21, she says, The Lord has brought me back empty. And the Lord has testified against me and brought calamity upon me. She's lost everything. The anchor of her life has been removed. And, and you and I kind of do a similar thing to her when we go through intense suffering. We blame God. But something you've got to do when you read chapter 1 of Ruth is you've got to ask yourself, why did he include, why did the author include Ruth's, Ruth's little speech to Naomi? See, the author could have just gone, 
from verse 14, Then they, Orpah and Ruth, uh, lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, could have kept that and gone straight into verse 19, uh, where, where Naomi enters Judah. But the author chooses to leave the speech in. Now, now, in my mind, and as far as I can understand, if you read through the rest of the book of Ruth and you took out those few verses, the story would still make complete sense. It would still work. But the reason the author has left this in is to show us that although God allowed Naomi to go through suffering, he never left her. See, though she might be empty, God never left her completely empty. He was looking after her, for he gave her Ruth by her side. See, Naomi when she told the woman to call her Mara, had forgotten or she just didn't think about Ruth. And when we're suffering, we tend to become blind to what God is often doing. We tend to not see the good things in our lives. We can shout at God like Naomi saying, God, you made me this way. You made me bitter. I'm empty and you are the one who is testifying against me. But we don't see the Ruth that he has put in our lives. For example, you might be going through intense suffering right now, and you don't see the friend that has been beside you the entire time. You shout at God, saying, nothing is good in my life, but you don't remember the spouse that is praying for you. You don't remember all the good he's done in the past as well. You don't remember when he helped you out of your financial struggle or when he walked with you through that surgery. You don't. You forget about it. You shout at God and you don't see the roof over your head. The breath in your lungs, the fact that you still go home to a bed. See, the reason we don't see these things is because in our suffering, we get so self-consumed. We say, woe is me. Lord, why do this to me? How can I ever solve this? What am I supposed to do? I'm too ill-equipped to deal with this, etc. We get so self-consumed that we don't see what's happening around us and outside of us, and God is working. God has given us a Ruth. And the biggest thing that we become blind to when we do this is we become blind to God himself. But you will find when you read the New Testament that the same love that Ruth shows Naomi is the same love that Jesus shows for us. Think about it for a moment. Ruth leaves Moab. She leaves her own people to enter a world where people don't necessarily like her. Jesus leaves heaven to be eventually put on a cross by the people who he comes into. Like Ruth gave up her people to join Naomi's people, so Jesus left heaven to become part of our people. Like Ruth committed to go wherever Naomi went, so Jesus walks our road with us. And he does it in two ways. He did it literally by coming to earth and experiencing the same experience as we do. And he still walks with us now through his Holy Spirit. 
which means we can pray to him about any experience because he is there with us in the experience and he knows what it's like because he's walked in our shoes. And lastly, Ruth says in verse 17, where you die, I will die, and where you are buried, there I will be buried. Jesus died where we should have died. And he was buried where we should have been buried. So to close off, there are a lot of people today and you're entering Christmas like Naomi entering Judah. Maybe you've lost people or you're going through other trials that are making you feel empty, bitter, and angry at the Lord. Please don't forget that you have a Ruth. You know, the text doesn't say this, but I can imagine that when Naomi entered the town and was angry at God and expressing this verbally to everybody else, Ruth may likely have been standing there going, but don't forget me. I mean, God's, God hasn't left you completely empty. He's given you me. And I kind of wonder if when we're getting angry at God, if Jesus, who's right there with us, is saying the same thing. Don't you see that I have said to you, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, there I will be. And you know what the strange thing about that last sentence is? Is that Ruth, Ruth could say, where you die, I will die. But Naomi had to just trust her that Ruth would do this. See, the difference between Ruth and Jesus is Jesus has already proven that he will do that. Because he's already died where we should have died. Now, I'm not saying that this will, the sermon will cure your woes for Christmas. But if you are going into Christmas and you've lost someone that you love, don't forget Ruth. Don't forget that Jesus is there with you. Don't forget that he has committed himself to you. So I do hope that this brings you a little bit of comfort and hope this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he is such an important Ruth in our lives. And Father, I know that there are many people who today feel like calling themselves Mara. For they feel like their life situation has left them in a bitter state. Empty inside. Lord, help those people to see Jesus. Help them to see all the good that you are doing in their lives. And Lord, Help them to have a bit more peace this Christmas as they enter for what may feel like to them a very dark time. I pray this all in your amazing and mighty name.